First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You're tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for triple Z, be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course... No idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. May I please introduce the prolific Peter and the magnificent Gabe. Good morning. Why didn't mine get alliteration? That doesn't seem fair. Matt, (laughs) i got a question for you. Do you know what sonar stands for, either of you? Uh, Sound. I did. I used to. On number... I don't know. Down is the first word. There's three others. (laughs) 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 Uh, Originating. Originating. I don't know. Go for it. Wait, S-O. Sound Sound is S-O. And then there's three words for N-A-R. Sound. Near. No. Oh, uh, something's going to be radar at the end. No. No. This is going to be. I think I did this. A really good shot. Four two zero six six seven three three. I think we'll be here a while. Should I just give it to you? Yes, please. Sound navigation and ranging. Sound navigation and ranging, and that has got. Uh, the Australian and Chinese navies into a bit of a pickle in the last week, Max. I don't know mm. if you heard that story yeah. around some sonar issues. So I'm going to get into that yeah. a little later on, as well as the science behind how it can actually impact people. Are you stepping on uh, Peter's territory there, though? I'm he always does. Yeah. He always he always gets mm. his feet wet, and it's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about David Attenborough again, or <laughs> <laughs> later on in the show? SpaceX SpaceX uh, yeah. made another expensive firework. Over the last week that yeah. Max is going to get into. Uh, Peter, you've got some stuff in your own field that I'm not touching on uh, <laughs> AI counting turtles mm. and crabs. Yes, yeah. although I'd like to make abundantly clear my field is more in the turtles and crabs area and not the AI. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. What's the story with the open AI stuff going on at the moment? I've been intrigued by this, how the CEO has been uh, thrown off the board. And, uh, yeah. and then Microsoft said, yeah, just come and work for us and bring as many people you want for, from <laughs> open AI. We'll set up a whole new business yeah, for, for you. Yeah, for their bar <laughs> person. <laughs> anyway. 
There's a lot to get into over the next two hours. Taking you through the midday, talking science. We're going to get into weird science first. I've got some stuff on why people, certain people get headaches with red wine. Mm. But yeah, Max. You tuned into 4 Z and we just hit. Oh, I knew I did. <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> Oh, it's it's the it's the golden egg of four triple Z. Were you listening to the show as you were coming in, Izzy? We've been joined by Izzy, by the way. Yes, I was. Yeah, cool. Of course. Do you know homework? Sonar stands for what, Izzy? Pardon? Sonar stands. What does Sonar stand for again? Sonar. From uh, a few minutes ago. Um. Uh, I know what the last son- word is. <laughs> Sonic. Uh, sound. 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 Yeah. Okay. I don't know. And then there's an N word and then and, <laughs> and ranging. S-O. And ranging. Near ranging. Oh. I don't know. Is that it? I Sound, tuned out. navigation, and ranging. <laughs> I got the first half. Fair enough. You did. One out of five. You tuned into four triple Z and the show is no idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe. Who would like to start off the weird science for this week? Fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> red wine mm. always gives us the best advice, but it also leaves an ache in some of our heads. Mm. Not a hangover headache. Uh, those headaches, uh, you know, are ones that we can all get if we drink enough of it. But some people, even with like one or two glasses, can come down within like half an hour with a pretty nasty headache. Does anyone get this? Nah. nah, no, I'm too strong for that. Really? Yeah. It's it's quite a, actually, quite built a lot different. Of I don't think I've ever really met someone who's mentioned it, but I feel like if you had this, you'd just not drink red. Uh, it's been mm. a bit of a mystery as to why it happens, but some American researchers from the University of California, which has a QS ranking of oh, 138, 19, uh, 90, 118. Oh. Cracked the cases, the Davis campus. I don't know if that changes the ranking. Uh, they reckon they've <laughs> cracked the case on why some people get headaches from red wine. Mm. Inside grapes is a natural substance, which I'm going to ruin the name of. Are we ready? Yes. Wercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, yeah. which is produced mm. by grapes in response to sunlight and a lot of red grapes, uh, a lot of red wines, sorry, use grapes like Cabernet grapes, which deliberately get exposed to a lot of sunlight, apparently. It's clearly not my field, uh, which means they get a lot of this substance in them, right? They build, build up even more of it for these reds. Right. Um, the authors say, or one of the authors of this study says it can, can be up to five times higher than you get in other types of grapes. Hmm. Usually, it's apparently a pretty normal thing to consume, maybe even be a little good for you. It's an antioxidant. But when your body gets it with alcohol, it forms something slightly different. I'm going to ruin the name even more now for this next version of the compound, which is quercetin. Gluco- glucoronide, oh, uh, which ooh. is a slightly different version of it that you get mm. when your body has it with alcohol. Uh, that stuff gets in the way of your body's enzymes metabolizing alcohol. Because this compound is stopping your body from breaking down the wine's alcohol content, a toxin builds up in your body that can mm. lead to flushing, headaches, and nausea. Mm. That's the idea. Anyway, they still need to do tests on this to in clinical studies, big clinical studies, to properly figure out what's going on with people and figure out which step of the process is, is going wrong. Like if people are particularly reactive to the initial compound or if it's something about the body's enzymes being a bit more susceptible to getting blocked or something like that going on. But... Regardless, they think it's this compound that you get in grapes, particularly grapes that are exposed to more sunlight, like you get in reds, that causes these red wine headaches. The <laughs> I think the, the advice at the moment is still just try and avoid the wines. There's yeah, not really a treatment right. method. Exactly. They're saying just avoid alcohol 
full stop now, aren't they, really? Well, yes, yeah. that too. I'm ignoring that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What if I said you could swallow a smart pill that can accurately monitor your breathing and heart rate from inside your gut? One of our mm. listeners, Chris, might be interested in the science since they work at a sleep clinic. Mm. Giovanni Traverso from MIT QS Ranking. Two. Yeah, two, yeah. Two. One or two. Yeah, if you went to Cambridge, that'd be two, but it's, it's one. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> and his colleagues have published results of their latest ingestible electronic device that may allow people to be remotely assessed for sleep apnea, amongst uh, other uh. conditions. <laughs> that was a very adverse remotely reaction to that. changes Peter. it for me. <laughs> I don't like the idea of someone sitting in a lab, like, two cities away being like... Mm, not not, not like he, Peter stopped... <laughs> Breathing. Peter, stop breathing. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh, great. Awesome. I'm glad that's recorded somewhere now. <laughs> <laughs> the first iteration of Giovanni's device happened back in 2015 and was the size of a multivitamin pill. Giovanni et al. placed a teeny tiny microphone inside a silicon capsule to listen to bodily sounds and wirelessly send them back to an external receiver. The pill calculated heart and breathing rates from a distinctive sound waves produced by heartbeats and lung contractions. Testing on pigs, the researchers found that the device could accurately pick up heart rate and respiratory rate even when conditions such as the amount of food being digested was varied. Fast forward eight years, Giovanni's latest iteration is still the size of a vitamin supplement but now contains a tiny, a tiny accelerometer to measure breathing and heart rate by detecting gut vibrations. It also has a medical grade implant radio to transmit data to Canberra, just joking, to a remote computer. <laughs> the, team tested <laughs> the team tested the smart pill in 10 people with an average age of 41 who were already booked in at the WVU Medicine Sleep Evaluation Centre all the participants were able to easily swallow the pill and did not experience any side effects. Once in their guts, uh, it measured their breathing rate with 93% accuracy and heart rate at 96% accuracy when this was cross-checked with conventional connected monitoring equipment. Only one person in the study was found to have uncontrolled sleep apnea, which the researchers were able to detect via the measurements collected by the smart pill. Traverso... Yeah. Hmm? Is this going to replace like smart watches and stuff? Because that's what I'm seeing. I'm hearing Apple writing checks. <laughs> I hear <laughs> the new Fitbit that is inside you. It's yeah. gonna, I think I think Apple will just buy them out, won't they? That's what I'm smelling. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. That's what I mean. Yeah. Writing yeah. checks. <laughs> Get a throw a couple of O's on the end there, and you've got it. Because there's lots of like companies. It's also that's meant to stop the. The, the painful bit of sleep studies of having to go into a yes, clinic and get it, strapped up, up to whole, a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah. then the question of, is this really how you normally sleep with all these weird stuff around you and monitoring equipment connected? Is this like accurately recording how you'd sleep at home? So um, my guess is it's meant to at least initially do that. And then, yeah, and then they'll get bought out by, by Apple or, <laughs> or someone. <laughs> That's right. Spun out of MIT as usual. Anyway, Traverso and his colleagues believe the pill could also be given to opioid users to detect if they mm. stop breathing due to an overdose and then send an alert for help. To explore this idea, they introduced the pill into the stomach of an anaesthetised pig before giving it a dose of opioid fentanyl. The device oh. detected when the fentanyl 
caused a sharp drop in the pig's breathing rate, allowing the researchers to administer mm. Narcan to reverse the opioid effects and return the pig's breathing rate to normal. Unfortunately, oh. in its current form, the pill is typically excreted within a day, which could limit its utility. You're just going to buy a new one every time, <laughs> cashing yeah. in. The team oh. is also looking at ways to engineer the pill so it automatically releases Narcan when an opioid user stops breathing. Mm. There mm. you go. That's interesting. It is very interesting. They would have to take it every day, though, then. That's right. A new pill every day. Or, or maybe rescue it from your excretion and then... Ooh. <laughs> 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 Hate to be that guy. Fun <laughs> <laughs> daily activity. <laughs> uh. I got a text in about your thing, Gabe. Dre wrote, Hey, guys. I get this... The headaches we're talking about. I get this from red wine, but also champagne. Ah. Fine with pretty much any white wine, beer, or spirit. Mm. So I wonder if there's something in champagne, the same compound in higher levels in champagne than a white wine. Because mm. of the grapes they're using. That's be. interesting. Surely sh- champagne's just fizzy wine, right? We can make it in the soda stream. Right, and, and all the Italians have, have started ringing Max. <laughs> the phone's going off. Champagne is French. <laughs> it's very Yeah, it's good. from, French. isn't it from Champagne? All the French people are calling <laughs> yeah. regularly showing up at our house. That's right, we're going to hear. That's good. Uncancelable. Here are three so- <laughs> <laughs> Everyone at the station knows uh, which show's the most appreciated. Uncancelable. Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. <laughs> Everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. Yeah. You're tuned into 4ZZZ, and the show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, Gabe, and it's time for part two of this. What do you got for us, Peter? I actually don't have marine weird science because mm-hmm. I wanted to do this in light of the recent Bird of the Century competition mm-hmm. in Very controversial. my home country, Aotearoa, because it was fraught, as I'm sure you guys have heard. Mm. Um, unfortunately, my pick didn't win, but we move on. The bird I'm talking about today also did not win, actually. Uh, this is the Tōtōwai, or North Island Robin, mm. and it's really cute so it is they didn't even come in the top 10 which is a little bit upsetting because i feel mm. like it kind of i don't think we've got so many good birds so we're talking about their personalities kind of individual animals often differ in their ability to override impulses and old habits which is a cognitive ability known as inhibitory control something which i lack clearly but research has shown that totoi or north island robins are actually pretty damn good at this which is great because being able to control automatic urges may allow animals to carry out actions such as waiting for the best time to attack prey, catching food to eat later, or sharing food with other members of their own species. And we actually got to see this in action, Gabe and I, last year when we were in Zealandia, which I'll talk a little bit about later. What the people who were working there would do is they'd scratch up this little bit in the dirt mm. and then walk away. And as they walked away, this little robin would come in and eat all the stuff that had been... Uh, Buried. Got... Yeah, been buried and mm. been brought up, which mm. was really cute. But the behaviour we're talking about here isn't them coming to eat it. It's them waiting for us to walk away. They were not impulsive. They could see the food, but they waited for a better time. That behaviour is not universal. And we actually didn't know at this point in time whether 
we were just finding them in really good conditions, right? Like, do they only do this on Sunday or when they're full or whether, you know, we didn't even know if it was inherited. So there's lots of things that we had questions about. And so these researchers checked out some of the birds at Zealandia, which is like one of my favourite places in Wellington. It's essentially this giant sanctuary, which is completely mammal-free. So it's a really good place to see these birds in their natural habitat with mm. wild behaviours. Even though, you know, there are people running through, there are researchers doing experiments on them, blah, blah, blah. At least you don't have rats and You said it was entirely those. free of mammals. Except for That's those guys. <laughs> <laughs> mammals. Sans humans, which they let in through the gates. Human, to be fair, humans have to pay to be there. So right. animals are free. Hmm. Mammals hmm. have to pay. And rats and possums can't do that. Pay so, with their well, life. No. <laughs> well, no. They just... <laughs> They probably do kill a few of them, but they are pests. Anyway, moving away from that, (laughs) in this study, they it's it's a really beautiful place. In the study, they tested their impulse control by training them to eat mealworms. So again, you know, kind of wild. And in this training stage, the mealworm was like in this cylinder, and it was obscured by this black piece of paper. So it's in a plastic tube, obscured by paper from the top, so they can only really see it when they like tilt their head and go right at it from the bottom. There's Mm -hmm. one angle they can get this mealworm. So they train that and train that and train that. And then as soon as they get to the point where they just go straight to the bottom, they're good. And then they take away the black paper. Mm. So now they can see the mealworm from all angles. And this is the test, right? Okay, so a bird with no impulse control would just peck straight at the cylinder because they're not waiting to figure out if it's the same thing. They just see, they see food, they eat it. That's it, right? Mm. Like that old joke. Hey, I got seafood in there. It is marine. Anyway, so then when in these birds, it's a tiny what they win. would do, mm. it's a tiny win. What they would do is they would take the time to assess the situation and go in the bottom. So we can tell they have impulse control because they waited, they took their impulses. Now, they did some other tests as well, which honestly were very complicated in the paper and I didn't think I could relay, but now you know that's what they did. They essentially set them up with these little feeding things all over Zealandia and they found out that Tuotoi think before they act and they do it pretty much all the time. Like, no matter when you found them, over years and years and years, they always had this impulse control. However, what they did not find was any hereditary link. So it's not passed on through their parents, which means... We don't really know where they pick it up from. It has to be environmental. But, like, at what point do they learn this to wait? Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting question. It implies that something happens to them all as babies. But, yeah, I thought this was really cool. And I like Totoai, so. There you go. There you go. Izzy, you got anything for us? I can. (laughs) Oh! Here we go. Here we go. Spontaneous. Here we go. Yeah, go for it. So, I... As as someone, I do like a little treat, and um, I'm sure many other people do enjoy a little treat. Mm-hmm. A little treat for a bad day, a little treat for a good day, a little treat just because. Small $20 purchases can really just do a lot for your mental health. But what if that little treat was a termite? I don't know what... Um, anyway. What bridge are we crossing here? We're, we're crossing something, Max. Let me cook. <laughs> All right. Researchers in the University of California, Santa Cruz, and the University College of London is investigating the relationship between termite availability, so the little treats, mm. and chimpanzee fishing, the consumer of said treats. <laughs> they found that termite... Oh. Yeah. Mm. They, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, the termites, even though they were most available in the wet season, um, 
and food was much more abundant, chimpanzees would still choose to termite fish mm. during that time. And so they, what they do is they create little kind of sharp pointy sticks and they crack out the fishing gear, if you will, um, and go fishing even though other food sources are so much more readily available. So they wanted to uh, investigate why they do that. Termites are a key source of nutrients for chimpanzees, so it kind of makes sense that it is, it is a food source. However, they are, hide, they are harder to extract because they are living deep within like these massive mounts. If you've ever seen a termite mountain, they're freaking huge. Mm. So they found that, dare I say, the chimpanzees actually just enjoy fishing for termites just because, because it's fun. Because they studied that um, over years of um, metabolic data and camera traps footage of 13 mounds, they found that the predation of termites over time, about 1,924 attempts at termite fishing, 363 actually extracted termites. So when chimpanzees would come in, try and fish, only they were not very successful. <laughs> uh, 1,924 out of um, times... 363 only extracted termites. So why are they doing it? They found that um, chimps adapted their searching behavior based on seasonal changes, but they also would gather together and fish fish together in social groups as well. So termite the fishing. same reason that people fish. Yeah, exactly. So even though food is so much easier elsewhere, mm. they still get together, yeah. get crack the fishing gear out. Social occasion. Social occasion. Make it have an afternoon with it. Yes. And get together and uh, fish some termites. It's kind of wild that all primates like sitting around doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's innate. That's the dream. <laughs> See, <laughs> we all want a sweet treat sometimes. I learned that you can hear the difference between different water temperatures when they're poured. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour one after the other mm -hmm. into a different glass and you have to tell me which one is which temperature. I've got a hot and a cold. Mm -hmm. You ready? Yep. Right, here's the first one. Any thoughts? Is this the bodily fluids again? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying cold. It sounds cool, yeah. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah. Here's the second one. <laughs> oh. oh! Well played. Shut up. <laughs> you tuned into four triple seven. This show has no idea. With me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe. What do you yeah, got for got us, some, Gabe? We've got some friendly neighbourhood marine science from our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist coming up. But before we do, Max, I mm. wanted to flash back to two weeks ago. Do you remember what I was talking about two weeks ago? It was a bird story about a little thing called a fairy wren. Do you remember this? With the mirror. Not with the mirror, with the mothers that call to their eggs. Oh, this, yes. yes, the signature call, yeah. Uh-huh, yep, and they have a signature call that they teach their chicks before they hatch, which mm. means that chicks can call to them as soon as, well, pretty much as soon as they hatch. And I wanted it. AI to interpret that actual call, you if did. we could. Yes, and we yeah, told you, Max, no. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yes, you can fund that research, Max. Mm. Uh, but they, they wanted to, yeah, so they figured out that they, they use these signature calls like a password between the mother and the chicks that they learn before they hatch, really start learning before they hatch. Also might be a way of like stopping uh, the, the like cuckoos and yeah, parasitic yeah. birds from laying mm. their own eggs in there. And <laughs> so the mothers know who's who, who's really her eggs. There's been some new research about these purple crown fairy wrens, Max. It's just mm. dropped a few mm. days ago. Mm. You excited? Mm. I'm excited. Yes. yes. What they found was, uh, well, there was this other weird thing about purple crown fairy wrens, which is that the- They're not purple? Typically the younger ones. Mm. Uh, well, the females don't have the purple crowns, only the mm. males. Okay. Uh, but the uh, younger ones seem to engage in what's called cooperative breeding, where it's like they help establish 
mate pairs, couples, even though they seem to interbreed a lot, mm. uh, at least some of the fairy wrens, mm. they help these pairs uh, raise young, right? So they actually, like, they don't really have their own genetics getting passed on, but they help them raise the young. And it was really, uh, like, no one really knew why. There wasn't a good evolutionary reason to Step do parents. that. Like, why would you help some, mm. some other animal help its genes propagate and not yourself? Mm -hmm. Turns out they've done this research and it, it's, <laughs> it's self-interest <laughs> because they found that the, <laughs> the birds that engage in this social bonding then are more likely to get help themselves later on. Right. They just are more likely in to have more chicks themselves throughout no. their life. Uh, and found, so yeah, the, the conclusion of what they found, Max, was that purple crown fairy wrens engage in cooperative breeding as a means of obtaining future benefits for themselves. Nice. Which is my segue, Max, yeah, into yeah. why you should subscribe to Fortune. I was waiting Not for because it because we're worth anything <laughs> ourselves, but because it helps you, Max. Mm. Uh, there's so many things that, uh, that you can get from subscribing Towards to Fortune Z. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking it was going very different. New research about fairy wrens. There's Fortune Z subscribers, and you can be too. We, we <laughs> on getting in the newsletter. We we did a great subscriber so, drive last week, didn't we? we yeah, the speakers aren't on upstairs, my name. So <laughs> I don't think the newsletter, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, we own not nothing for community yeah. radio. We don't want you to have any sub discounts from our sub outlets. We don't want you to have your name in the text line. We just want that great, good yeah. glory information. Yeah, exactly. The uh, you can subscribe by going to our website at four zzz.org.au forward slash support. You can subscribe for as little you can as get your twenty dollars. Fairy wrens, you can get a subscription for twenty. <laughs> Full subscription, yeah, is seventy dollars. Fairy wrens, that's a twenty buck. Uh, fairy <laughs> that's right. You can be a passionate be doubling subscriber. Doubling up on that, we do check. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, uh, yeah, fairy wrens. Mm -hmm, the yeah. uh, you can be a passionate subscriber for one hundred and thirty, or you become a super sub for five hundred dollars. You can come and buy some merch from us. The Might as well. I don't think we do fairy red sizing. We're 10 a.m. every weekday, aren't yep. we? So yep. it's all good. Bit of, bit of time on the weekend too. I'm not really sure what the else <laughs> on the weekend. But you can <laughs> check it out on the website. Just do that. Dot org. Dot au. Yeah. Slash support to get there. It's also got a list of all the stuff you get for subscribing as well, including the sub discount outlets and, uh, and cheap entry uh, to for Triple Z Presents gigs and shows, all sorts of stuff. Four and you go into the running for the monthly prize, which is... Mm -hmm. From Suitcase Records. It's a Suitcase Records LP and T bundle. So you go into the running for that. Ooh. You just subscribe. That's very cool. You like that? Yeah. Tea nice. the drink, not DJT. And now we're going to hear from our friendly neighborhood marine scientist, Peter. That is. You tune into 4 Triple Z. The show is no idea. I got everything in the wrong order, as usual. What do you got first, Peter? All right. So. I've got more AI. Despite computers being quite adverse to moisture and water, we really have been using them in our efforts for marine science for quite some time. Like literally for centuries, we've been lugging expensive and delicate equipment of all kinds onto boats to brave the high seas, which I always find really funny. The people are just like, no, it's important enough. Let's lug it on. Let's go. Luckily now, much like your friendly neighborhood marine scientists, we have gotten a lot better at making them water resistant. That's a joke about humans being water resistant, by the way. I think it's nice, quite funny. yeah. Anyway, now we use computers a lot in marine scientists, thank goodness, and we can use things like AI. Woo! Everyone is <laughs> so bored about AI now. You suddenly got my attention, Peter. Yeah. Yes. So we're not using it for its quite limited creative purposes. That would be odd no marine scientists as you are mainly using it to automate the more tedious and strenuous parts of our jobs mainly counting 
Like the fish. From like the fish. Yes. yes. If you remember a few weeks ago, I was telling you how we use salmon the vision. count fish in yeah. Canada. Yep, <laughs> salmon vision. That's it. Well, now we're using it to count more things, uh, namely turtles much closer to home on Rain Island. So the island is the world's largest green turtle rookery and they can get as many as 20,000 turtles nesting in a single night. A single night. That means that in a nesting season, there are literally hundreds of thousands of little babies just like buried in the sand mm -hmm. on this <laughs> tiny island. Twin Sorry, I did not think I got enough reaction to that. 20,000 turtles. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> in a single night. Did you night. say yeah, 20,000? 20,000. 20, <laughs> the island isn't that big. <laughs> that's a yeah, lot of they turtles. They dig each other up a lot. They yeah. do. They, they crawl over each other. They dig each other up. They slap each other with their fins as they're mindlessly digging. Like, honestly, this is crazy. Just imagine. Just I want everyone to pause and imagine mm. trying to stay up all night and count 20,000 turtles. 20,000 turtles. Now, mm. imagine doing that by a drone. It's not easy, right? Yeah. Like they have, it's not like they have numbers painted on their backs. They look pretty similar and they're climbing all over each other. So it's really difficult to count them. But I've said it before and I will say it again. <laughs> ecologists are very good counters. Okay, they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look at the guy. The thing is, computers are better. So the Great Barrier Reef Foundation has created an application which is doing just that and about 20 times faster than human counting, which I will say actually gave me, gave me a bit of appreciation for the human counting. Hmm. Only being 20 times slower than a literal computer? Like, well done. Yes. I couldn't be me. Anyway, so it's 20 times faster and it saves that person the harrowing fate of counting 20,000 turtles at night while trying to stay awake. The program uses the very same drone videos and images of the islands to count the turtles in real time. The technology was developed for the use of the Wuthafi and Merriam Nation rangers and scientists to use when they're in the field. So essentially, as the drone is flying over, this program should be able to count the turtles, which is pretty incredible and a huge leap from what we have been doing. But this actually wasn't the only AI counting program I found in the news this week. The Ooh. other one comes to us from Japan and it has to do with crabs. So the horsehair crab or kegani is a seasonal delicacy in northern Japan and so it gets pretty heavily fished. But thanks in part to protections from the Japanese government, there seems to be a pretty good amount of them. I haven't looked properly into it, but from what the study says, it looks all right. In Hokkaido, the kegani are abundant, largely because the government strictly forbids the capture of females for consumption. Mm. So. That means these fishermen are pretty damn good at sexing crabs now. You've got to pick them up, you've got to sex them, you've got to figure out which one they are, and then figure out whether you've got to throw it back. And to be honest, it's not super difficult to sex a crab. Their carapaces on their bottom side are very different shapes, mm -hmm. but you need to flip them over to do it. Like, they don't like sitting carapace up, so you have to flip them over, <laughs> shape them, <laughs> and either keep them or throw them out. Mm. And when you're doing that with literally thousands of crabs, it can be kind of time-consuming. So a team of scientists from across the country wanted to look into AI and see if they could, with a very highly trained algorithm, sex a crab from the top without flipping it over. Mm. I know. Insane. Ooh. And it can. The program was able to correctly identify the sex of crabs from the top at about 95% accuracy, mm. which is far, far better than most humans can do. Obviously, the fishermen who are doing this every day are you know, pretty decent, but mm. even from them the top is very difficult to do. And what What's was even better yeah, is on. that the model was actually able to explain its work. So it produced heat maps Ooh. showing the regions of the photos that led to the decision. So for the males, the way that it was able to tell was by looking at their butt. 
on like the bottom of the carapace from the top. There's something different going on there. They think it might actually be seeing the genitals that sort of peek out. Oh, yeah. So, Whoa. <laughs> I know. Whoa, crazy. Um, but it also just seems to have a little bit of a different shape. And then in the females, it looked at the top on the corners and from what I could see, largely the left top-hand corner. Mm. I don't know why, but apparently there's something there that is specific to females, which is all super useful information. Like the AI itself could be relayed to the fishermen, but also just this information can. And then I'm sure with human brains being as spectacular as they are, they could probably see those patterns themselves and then just use that as extra information, which is pretty incredible. Um, Yeah. So it's good to have all of this fast identification because sitting in a tub, waiting for your turn to be sexed, being pulled out of the ocean (laughs) and thrown back in the ocean... You know, yeah. to make them all a little bit crabby. Beautiful. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you should be worried, Max, because if we if we get a robot that just sits there and laughs, you're basically obsolete. <laughs> so you're tuning to Four Triple Z, and the show is a no idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe. And it's time for some of this. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to you for Triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go. And it was lights out in Las Vegas last weekend. Pretty fun sort of weekend, wasn't it, Izzy? Yep. Yeah. I won't. I won't defer to Peter because it's. Thank fun. you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows I have nothing to add to the segment. I just leave a vibe. A nice cruisy little race that started at what four five p.m. for us. Yes, wrapped on the up Sunday. by by Brilliant. six. Yeah. It was easy. They had some teething problems on the first day of racing. Mm. Uh, one of the drain covers came loose and uh, Carlos Sainz ran over it and nearly uh, inju- it injured his car, basically. Yeah. Nearly injured him. It actually broke his uh, seat. That's how far it sort of inserted itself into his car. So no. he, they this had to is, get another chassis. This is the chassis. sophistication of the biggest race of the w- yeah. in the world, mm. in the history of the world. They go to a new place, they make a street circuit, and the drain covers weren't glued down enough and yeah. flung well, up and took out the bottom of someone's car. Correct. We could raise a lot of issues about this race, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Sharing the mic at the post-race. Um, <laughs> yes. What was that about? The interview. Yeah. yeah for This is worth... I don't know if this is worth... They did a post-race interview where they only had one mic on yes. on set. Yeah. And that included them getting the three, the three winners in the back of a Rolls Royce, mm. driving them down. That was their cool-off room. Yes. Was in the back of a, a Rolls, Rolls Royce. Royce. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, only one mic for each winner. Yeah, that's it. And no Glenn 20 to spray the uh, microphone in between interviews. Anyway, <laughs> let's not worry about COVID now. Anyway, no prizes for winning uh, who won. It was Max Verstappen in his Red Bull. But in a refreshing change, Ferrari's Charles Leclerc got second. And then Max's teammate Perez was a close third. Aussie Oscar Piastri finished in the points, coming mm-hmm. home in 10th. Mm-hmm. And also claimed the fastest lap. So the McLaren amazing, wasn't that slow. Yeah. Love to Brilliantly, see Brilliantly. Because the, the McLarens, who Piastri, the Aussie race is mm. for, have been performing pretty well, but just qualified hopelessly for mm. the race. Uh, but Piastri got through to about fourth at one stage and just had to make an extra pit stop mm-hmm, than everyone mm-hmm. around him because of the tyre rules, meaning you can't use the same tyre 
the whole way through a race. You have to use at least two types. And so they sort of got a bit unlucky with how the race played out with safety yeah. cars yeah, and yeah. things. But still, very well done. And everyone seemed very impressed with how he'd raced. And what your overall opinion? Did you watch the race and everything, Gabe, or the whole weekend? I the race. How it went? My overall opinion. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. It seemed decent. It was entertaining. It was long. I liked the long tracks. It was the second longest track on the calendar, I think. Uh, and there was plenty of overtakes, but it seemed a little dangerous. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, like the track was something that only gets approved because they want to race in Vegas, and it's the only way of getting them driving down the strip. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it was good fun. Very good fun. I, I wait for someone to have a more serious accident and see it, what happens then. It was one of the races of the year for me, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. They're sort of calling it, uh, this it sort of rivals Monte Carlo in, in the sort of spectacle of it all. Yeah. And, the, uh, and just, the, just the whole atmosphere, that even just the logo on top of the uh, grandstand where the oh, pits are. Oh, massive, yeah. Massive, yeah. Massive F1 logo. That, that was fantastic. And that globe thing that they've got, what is that thing called? Yeah, the oh, one that's losing massive ball, tens yeah. of millions of dollars yeah. in the first few months of operation. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, really awesome. I love the cutaways as well to just random celebrities in the pit as yes, well. Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift was in there, Rihanna, ASAP yeah. uh, Rocky. Colin Minogue. Kylie Minogue, everyone just in the pits and everyone's like, yeah, no pressure, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So it ticked a lot of boxes. I think they did really well for the first time that they've ever done this um, in Las Vegas since 1982. Mm. And uh, because Miami, when they did their one two years ago, their Mm -hmm. their first one, Mm -hmm. the second one was a lot better this year. And hopefully, again, it'll get a value add next year, mm. and and it'll iron out all the all the all the problems like the single mic and all that sort of stuff. And and I don't know if they'll use the Rolls Royce again. What do you think of the Rolls Royce as the cool down room? I honestly Fairly did not novel. see that and did not hear it until Izzy talked about it. Oh, oh really? really? You got to see yeah. that. It was yeah. very strange. They just drove them away yeah. from the pits, so mm. everyone else. They're was all just in the back seat, three abreast. It's so funny, and they're all talking about the race. And they're all uh, talking about if they pitted yeah. during yeah. safety car, yeah. and Charles Leclerc was like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to raise a really good point that they mm. didn't do. Um, they didn't do any Formula Two or Formula Three, three races. Yes, and they should do that. They should have done that because yeah. people were commentators were talking about how the none of the tyres were temperature ready mm. so a lot of issues was that they would go out there they would it was a green through. track it was, yeah. yeah so um, I think that would be really awesome to see at least the Formula 2 start running because that would help Formula 1 as well totally I think they yeah. should have Formula 2 and Formula 3 at all the at all the circuits. events yeah, yeah. So One they, of the sort of sciencey criticisms of, of the race mm-hmm. was... Oh, my God, we're getting to science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wait for Hold it. on to your hats. <laughs> <laughs> was that the, because it was, held, it was held in a cold location at a cold time of the year yes. uh, during the night, which meant the track temperature was about the same as the air temperature, which I was hearing was very unusual for F1 races. They're usually like a warm track. So you go to yeah. a hot place at nighttime or you run in the daytime in a cold place mm-hmm. uh, so that the tyres can actually stick to the surface. And they ran at about, I think, what was 18 degrees Celsius track temperature, yep. which yeah. is very cold for these tyres that like to be, I think they warm them up to about 60 degrees, right? 70 before degrees they go in the car. Celsius with the blankets yeah. and then they go out and they need them to get up to about 100. So, yeah. There you go. So very yeah. cold. So they're just slipping all over the place. It caused a few crashes like mm-hmm. Lando Norris sort of just oh, lost yeah. it very mm-hmm. early on and and binned his car uh, so yeah there were some issues in how it was run but hopefully they get ironed out maybe they'll do a summer race next year or something in the future and it's time for the Valtteri Bottas and Roman <laughs> Grosjean report <laughs> we've actually got substance for the Valtteri Bottas Valtteri's loss of Vegas helmet was designed by his Aussie partner Tiffany Cromwell Aww. 
The Planet Vegas helmet managed to come home 17th in the Las Vegas F1 race. Basically, Valtteri's helmet was the last to pass the finish line of those still running. Meanwhile, the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, will have a new teammate, Augustin uh, Canapino, the 33-year-old former Argentinian touring car sensation. Grosjean was impressed with Canapino's rookie season, coming straight out of touring cars into America's premier open-wheel series IndyCar, and says he is looking forward to working alongside the Argentinian next year. And that is it for the motor app this week. Very cool. Nice. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max, Izzy, mm-hmm. Peter, and Gabe. And we got a text mm-hmm. in from Terry. Now we need to defer to the marine scientists. Aren't female crabs called Jenny? I I, I know the answer to that too. Uh, They're called Jenny. Uh, they can be if you name them Jenny. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> my professional opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and what the males are called John. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I actually don't know that. I uh, don't too. Okay, yeah, no, we, we, well, when we're out in Morton Bay and you catch a female crab, you call them Jennies. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, I can look into it professionally, but... Yeah, that yeah, UQ education Jenny. didn't do you well, did it? When you think about it. Anyway. Well, okay, we weren't looking into the names of things. We were more looking about how to save the planet. We had sort of big things <laughs> the big, The macro stuff. Yeah, yeah come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, we looked at the broader things of, like, you know, the ocean's heating and falling apart. And mm-hmm. My education was largely overshadowed by the giant climate crisis that's coming for us all. Yeah. But, hey. That's for Eco but Radio. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us, Gabe? Oh, that's it. I'm thrown into it now. All right. You may, over the weekend, have seen a story break about Australian Navy divers getting hit by sonar from a Chinese ship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, According to a statement from the Australian Minister for Defence, this is what happened in their recollection of the story. Last Tuesday, HMAS Toowoomba was in international waters inside the exclusive economic zone of Japan, though. Uh, It had been conducting UN sanctions enforcement and was on its way to visit a nearby port. The ship got fishing nets tangled around its props, so sent some divers down to clear them away. While that diving was going ahead, another ship from China's Navy was in the area and closed in. Uh, the HMAS Toowoomba apparently successfully communicated with that other ship requesting it keep clear. Um, not sure what else they mentioned, like if they actually directly brought up that there were divers in the water, but they had some sort of communication. Regardless, the ship, the Chinese ship started up its hull-mounted sonar, forcing the Australian divers to exit. To quote the Minister for Defence's statement, medical assessments conducted after the divers exited the water identified they had sustained minor injuries, likely due to being subjected to the sonar pulses from the Chinese destroyer. They'd call it unsafe and unprofessional conduct. Um, but, so that's the newsy bit of this story. Let's talk about the science of what sonar does and doesn't do to a human in the water. Hmm. First, sonar. Um, do you remember what it stood for from the top of the show, Max? And is he and Peter? Sound. <laughs> navigation <laughs> and ranging. There ranging. you go. Sound, navigation, navigation and ranging. ranging. One of those beautiful acronyms where they just take whichever mix mm. of the letters they feel like to make something that sounds cool. Can we do cool. scuba so now not. or not? Okay. Hey? Can we do scuba as well? Sco- oh, self-contained underwater breathing, breathing apparatus. apparatus. Yeah. What? Go, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it means. Oh, I'm going to smash pub trivia now that I know that. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. You had your little moment there, Izzy? I did. <laughs> Make it come. Yes, go ahead. So- sonar is how you see under the sea when you can't see under the sea because the water of the ocean is denser than the air of the atmosphere. It makes mm. that 
ocean harder to look through because of all the stuff suspended in the dense water and the lack of light getting down through that water. It also means though, that sound travels better and further in the ocean than it does in air. Sound likes denser mediums like water over air if it's trying to get further and be louder from the same sort of distance. So sound likes sound likes water more than air. Confirmed. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is why so many marine animals rely on sounds and it's why so many human vessels use sonar to navigate and monitor what's below the surface of the ocean. At its simplest, sonar works by firing out short pulses or pings and detecting the echoes that come back. I've spent so long trying to find a realistic recording of what sonar is that i would be legally allowed to play you on air (laughs) could not come up with anything all i can tell you it is not the pinging ponking whatever you hear uh or associate with sonar that is not what active sonar typically sounds like from uh marine vessels boats and subs Mm -hmm. um have a look uh, a youtube after the show uh look up active sonar and and listen to it it's much more like a whistling sound with some clicks that are very high pitched and whoop upwards Mm. not this ponging sort of sound that we are all familiar with it doesn't sound anything like that sounds a lot creepier and higher pitched and whistly and screamy uh there at least you know when it's this type of active sonar that would have been going on with navy ships um because yeah from vessels on the water, sonar usually gets pumped out in one direction and then goes in a sweep around. Uh, it's a bit like the light from a lighthouse sweeping around, and from that you can map the map stuff in the water, map the 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 bottom but be- mm-hmm. uh, bed of the ocean, and also mm-hmm. sometimes map what's beneath the ocean, the sea floor. Uh, but because navy ships usually need sonar for quite high stakes purposes, they like like finding an enemy submarine or something. Navy sonars are pretty strong, and by strong I mean loud. Uh, and most reports say Navy so- naval sonars can reach 235 decibels underwater, which is hard to put in perspective. Decibels are a hard one because um, decibels underwater for a start are different to decibels on in the air because of the pressure differences and things going on in water and air. Um, but I'm just going to try and put 235 decibels in perspective. 270 is about the max you can get underwater. That's as loud as stuff can get carried through water, thereabouts. Um, and keep in mind that a three it's, it's a logarithmic scale when you're dealing with decibels. So you go up three decibels, and that's about a doubling in power uh, to, get that, to get that increase of three decibels. So going uh, from where we are, which is 235 for what sonar tends to be reported at, at least as, at its maximum, which I don't think this Chinese ne- vessel was pumping out, but at its maximum, 235 decibels. Human divers have called 150 underwater decibels unpleasant. Some call it severe. So 235 is our max. 150 is where we're probably starting to get uncomfortable. And 150 decibels is equivalent to being about 10 kilometers away from a military sonar getting pumped out at full volume. Uh, And at 180 decibels underwater, humans might experience serious effects like dizziness, disorientation, temporary impacts on memory and concentration, and temporary hearing loss. There's not a lot of good evidence of what goes beyond there because (laughs) thankfully there's not a lot of at least reported evidence of humans being exposed to stuff much louder than that. Uh, But we do know from other animals that you can get pretty uh, permanent serious impacts, not these more temporary ones that humans seem to get around 180 decibels. So to summarize, if you're in a few kilometers of military sonar being pumped out at full volume, you could get some discomfort. Once you're within a few hundred meters, that seems to be where you're most at risk of getting some actual damage, at least temporary potentially permanent if you're really unlucky and it's getting full blasted straight at you um some of it's context dependent though like um how 
the sound actually is, if it's an impulsive sound, which sonar isn't, um, and how long you're exposed to it, right? Like you can sort of step in and out of a concert and you're not going to do a huge amount of hearing damage, but mm -hmm. if you sit in that concert the whole time, you get a give yourself some degree of hearing damage. So it's very variable and context dependent and we don't know how close these divers were to the Chinese Navy sonar or how long they're exposed to it or anything like that. All we know is what the Australian government said which was that the divers sustained minor injuries mm -hmm. uh, and for what it's worth a media outlet owned by the Chinese Communist Party said the Chinese vessel kept a safe distance from the Australian vessel and did not conduct any activity that could affect the Australian side's diving operations. If you want to read more there's a good write-up in the conversation but that is the science of sonar and getting hit by it underwater. Now, we did have a text in from Dave, who does Eco Radio. Oh, yeah. It's addressed to Peter. Peter, you can always come to Eco Radio if Max is making no idea too hostile. <laughs> come see Dave, I really appreciate that. I mean, I do thrive in hostile environments, and I think I can give it back to him pretty quickly. I mean... <laughs> Watch out. Um, but I do appreciate that. And I'd be happy to be on Eco Radio any day. I'm, all I'm saying is take the hint, Peter. No, just joking. No. I <laughs> hostile work environment. <laughs> almost forgets our names every morning. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh. It's been in the bank. There's a lot in the bank I could take out, Maximilian. So let's just... <laughs> Ooh. Not the government's name. Dave's thrilling us apart. <laughs> <laughs> Divide and conquer. Do you know what side eye means? Bombastic uh, side eye. Very familiar <laughs> with side eye, Max. <laughs> Triple Z. We want to appeal to your senses. You tune into 4 Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe. And because it's that time of the day, let's do this. No Idea Space News. Starship Part 2. Enterprise. <laughs> happened on the weekend it was a fully uh, the fully reusable rocket second test flight it's super heavy booster Th 33 a raptor two engines performed mm -hmm. flawlessly then starship six engines fired up just before stage separation this is called hot staging a successful separation occurred the booster then did uh, a couple of maneuvers to ready itself for an ocean landing but exploded while doing so Starship. Spectacularly <laughs> footage. I've never seen an explosion of a spacecraft take up the entire frame of the camera. No. It was yeah. incredible. These Raptor engines, because they do, it is just like hmm. 30 massive engines yeah. strapped together yes. in one thing. Yeah. And, and I think they all fired this time. Am I right in They're saying that? Whereas last time they had two yeah. missing or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so they all fired. So they, they were happy that that mm. bit worked. They were happy that detaching worked. And then. Just an, a massive explosion of those boosters as after it separated, and then uh, the rest of it seemed to get, to not get damaged by the explosion. Though it had, it had been no just starship was all already away. on its way. Yeah, yeah. so that's ah. that's the second stage or starship, and it kept on its way. It flew above the Kármán line, which is sort of roughly a hundred kilometers up, and, um, and it flew for a few more minutes, and so eight minutes in total for the whole test two. Uh, Starship's own self-destruct mechanism was automatically deployed as the craft experienced unexpected flight behavior. Both oh. vehicles were lost. Sad face. Anyway, but it was a beautiful Sad thing face. to watch. <laughs> NASA has previously stated that SpaceX will probably have to complete another 15 of these tests before being certified for astronauts to be on board. Now, the Orion spacecraft... Uh, it's a year after the launch of the Artemis 1 mission and NASA is continuing to study the performance of the heat shield on Orion. Mm. 
a review that may take several more months to complete. The heat shield works by slowly eroding as it re-enters Earth's atmosphere, but it would seem that more material than expected was ablated than simulations had predicted, causing a little concern for the humans who are going to be on board Artemis 2. Just a little. A little. You might get a little bit cooked. Just a little, but it's fine. We'll give you back to your family. NASA has recently tested an inflatable heat shield that has passed with flying colours. The initial analysis showed uniform heating of the aeroshell during re-entry. The aeroshell looked pristine, as I said, with any damage primarily coming from the splashdown and recovery rather hmm. than the re-entry itself. I mean, I'd still be worried about the splashdown part if I was on board. <laughs> <laughs> of the inflatable heat shield. Hmm. Yeah, what about rather I guess. than inflatable, we do vacuum. Like, you know, thermoses and stuff? Mm. They seem to have that pretty down pat. Just take all the air out. Boom. Done. Solved your problem, NASA. Come to me next time. <laughs> stuff you, Friction. Now, Luna yeah. Cigarettes. Ooh. Research out of China has shown we could potentially grow crops on the moon as long as we add three strains of phosphorus-producing bacteria that can improve the nutrient profile of lunar soil. The trick being is to convert calcium phosphate into plant-friendly bioavailable phosphorus. Their test crop of tobacco plants produce longer stems and roots after growing for six days in soil containing these bacteria than did plants that were grown in soil without the bacteria. Sorry, do they have lunar soil that they're testing? they got simulated lunar soil, yeah. Simulated. Yeah. I was going to say, taking soil off the moon. I'm just going to grab some rocks <laughs> and take it home so we can grow some to grow tobacco to in it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's A, our priority, and mm. B, a good way to check whether we can just... Throw a little bit of bacteria on the moon. Who knows why not? Just throw some life on there. See what happens. That's never gone wrong. The plants grown in the soil with the bacteria also grew four times heavier than the counterparts. Levels of chlorophyll were more than 100% higher in the three bacteria-laden samples after 24 days. So there you go. You can have your lunar cigarettes and smoke them too. With just three bacteria and a massive lunar yeah. like crop, yeah, like lander thing, hmm. which has all of the atmosphere controlled and the oxygen content controlled, <laughs> and CO2 content controlled, and everything controlled, and and protection from meteorites and all yeah. that stuff. So just three bacteria and a few other. <laughs> What's our harvest strategy? Like, we're growing tobacco on the moon. Great, good yeah. for hmm. cigarette-obsessed aliens. Yeah. But what's happening when we bring it up? Like, uh, how? And I wonder who sponsored the research. That's what I remember. Yeah. Oh, I think we know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know. Gabe, what do you got mm. for us on the uh, space? James Webb. The hmm. James Webb Space Telescope uh, has discovered water in a planet that isn't Earth. <gasps> oh, JWST is the newer, bigger, better brother of the Hubble Space Telescope, built to peer back into the history of the universe, uh, launched in 2021, if memory mm. serves, like a $10 billion project in US dollars, something yeah. crazy. Uh, but European researchers have just used instruments on the James Webb Space Telescope to observe planet planets that orbit other stars, one of them called WASP 107b nice. uh, is 211 light years from Earth, yeah. uh, and it's a bit like a, it's like a bigger version of Neptune, apparently, in how mm. it, in its structure, mm -hmm. uh, and 30 times the size of Earth. Inside its atmosphere, the mid-infrared instruments on the James Webb Space Telescope detected the presence of water vapor as well as sulfur dioxide and silicate clouds. There you nice. go. Ooh. Thanks, James Webb. You've done mm -hmm. it again. 
It's a big old ice giant, so I don't yeah. think they're expecting that water to be supporting much, if any, life on it. What is the independent variable that makes no idea tick? That's what I want to mm. know. You tune in to Ford Triple Z, and the show is no idea, but not for much longer. Sign us out, Gabe. Thank you for listening. Thank Max, Izzy, Peter for their stories this week. <laughs> we'll be back next week, 10 to 12, on a Wednesday morning. You can catch us on 4ZZZ.org.au if you want to listen back to the whole show. Or there's a podcast. Look up No Idea 4ZZZ. That's now with a K on your favourite podcasting platform of choice because we're on pretty much all of them now. Woo. Listen back to the show without the music cut out. Uh, with the music cut out. There you go. We're going to do And any time you'd like. That is all you have time for, Max. Speak to you next week. See ya. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. science. science.